0: Did you know that over 50% of the church membership is single? That's why Faith Matters and Leading Saints are joining forces to produce the Single Saints Virtual Summit. This online event is focused on helping Latter-day Saints more deeply understand the complexities of being a single adult in our faith community. In this summit, you'll learn from 10 to 15 presenters, mostly single adults, who share their unique perspectives on how we can better understand the single adult experience and feel more equipped to unite with them in our worship. For more information about the Single Saints Virtual Summit and how to register for free, text the word LEAD to 474747. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash singleadults. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that through content creation, like this podcast, which we hope you subscribe to. We also have a website at leadingsaints.org with thousands of incredible articles all about leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. We host virtual summits, live events, and also have a weekly newsletter to keep you up to date on all things happening with Leading Saints. Visit leadingsaints.org for more information. Today I'm in person with my guest, Professor Michael Goodman. How are you? Wonderful, thanks. How are you? Good. Now we—I feel like we've used and abused you at Leading Saints with various interviews and things, but uh, you're back again for more. Happily, happily, so. And I'm glad you agreed to it. And uh, what I wanted to do with this session is I wanted to get a BYU religion professor mm-hmm. who spends his time studying, researching, oftentimes putting curriculum together all around the related doctrines for single adults in the church, whether that's eternal marriage, you know, this life, the next life, sealing and all these things that that relates and uh, fire some questions at you and see what we can learn. So you, maybe for individuals who aren't familiar with you and your background, maybe just put yourself into context with that.
1: Okay. My PhD is in marriage and family and that was a wonderful opportunity to formalize a passion that I've always had, which is to understand what makes marriage work, what makes family work. I'm a mutt. So I've got, a, I've got an associates in business, a bachelor's in journalism, a master's in IT, and a PhD in marriage and family, and I teach religion. So, oh so I'm a high-quality mutt, or at least a mutt one way or the other. But it's given me a background and a perspective academically that helps me to speak on different topics. I've had many wonderful opportunities to serve in the church. I've been a BYU bishop. I've been a mission president. I've served on several General committees for the church currently am doing that, so
0: yeah, that's about nice. in a nutshell. It sounds like a well-rounded uh, individual, it's so funny. that's good. Yeah. That's great. So you, you were you chaired the committee of putting together the Eternal Family, or what what what's the course Eternal called? Eternal Family, Cur, Eternal Families, and, and this is a religion course that every student at BYU takes. Is that right?
1: Exactly. So there's a there are four corner, what we call cornerstone classes that every BYU student has to take from the religion department. One based around the Bible, one based around the Doctrine and Covenants, one based around the Book of Mormon, and the Eternal Family. Oh, wow. I was the chair of the group that put that together and also wrote the BYU online curriculum for that.
0: Great. Great. So, uh, you're a go-to here. You'll, if if there is an answer, you probably have it.
1: So <laughs> well, I'll give you an answer. you left your side of it. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I... I've got a little bit of experience with this. Cool.
0: Well, let's start there as far as like, how does BYU handle teaching eternal families and marriage, uh, especially in a group that you're hoping is moving towards maybe that sealing sure. ordinance, you know?
1: You bet. We've got the, the, re, the interesting reality here is that about 80% of our students are single, 20%, eh, maybe a little less sometimes are married. So, we're teaching a mixed status audience, um, but the, the class is meant to teach the doctrines and principles that God has revealed through prophets regarding the, the, the eternal nature of family. Now, most of us who teach it, including myself, have PhDs in the topic, are active social scientists, so we will add some of those things to the material, but the reality is the course is based on what have prophets, seers, and revelators taught regarding the nature of marriage and family in the eternities and how to take those truths and some of the things we learned from day-to-day living and help people succeed
0: in in their marriage and family life. Yeah. And I I would guess like even in other religious institutions or colleges, I mean, there's no family type of curriculum that they're getting.
1: Yeah, this is a bit unique. There There are family systems, more of a secular start of the family. There are classes that are explicitly based on on either people's best guess or the science behind how do you do marriage better. And most of those are based in communication or some other thing. This class is quite unique in in its focus on, we understand to be eternal principles related to this. Now, eternal principles are crucial when you're trying to understand what's going to happen in the next life and the nature of marriage and family. But we also talk about money and we talk about sexuality and we talk about Communication. We do all those things as well, but we put that into the context of the the plan of salvation. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, where's do we start building a foundation here as far as the as doctrine related to eternal family? And uh, obviously, our hope is to help leaders or other individuals better understand this to be a better help to maybe those who haven't had that that blessing in this life. To some yeah, extent, you bet. It's an interesting challenge because. All the other
1: core classes and what you think of as, for instance, seminary classes, they're all based around a, a volume of scripture. And so our children from the time they're in primary are studying and restudying and restudying Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Bible, all that. And so by the time they hit BYU, they've got a pretty solid foundation. Though it's true in the church, we talk about the family a lot. It's often a lot of the family's great. The family is wonderful. The family is eternal. You should like family. Name Jesus Christ. Amen. And we move on. And so we, from primary on, we're not doing a lot of teaching of the foundations, the doctrines, mm. the the realities eternally behind it. And so when students come to BYU, we don't generally have to convince them that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints values marriage or yeah. values <laughs> family. But totally honestly, many of them could not explain why in detail. I don't want to be insulting in any way, but but there's a lot of learning that goes on in that class. And yeah. so our class is, is, it's interesting. We were, when this process was happening, when we were trying to decide what the core classes in religion would be, there were a few of our, my beloved friends, my fellow faculty members that weren't real comfortable with the family being there because it wasn't based on a scriptural text. Yeah. This class is based in the teachings of living prophets. Yes, we use scripture. Yes, we take principles from that. But it's the only one of the four core classes that is actually a a modern prophets-based class as much as it is anything else. And so we have an opportunity to try and help our students basically from – it's not just first date to chosen mate. It's not just the concept of how to – value it and get married, but to see where marriage and where family fit into the eternities. And so you ask the question, where do we start doctrinally? Interestingly, we start scripturally. And so so for example, we'll bring students to Doctrine and Covenants 131, if I just read just yeah, yeah. to smidge just for fun, right? And most students can almost quote this, right? In the celestial glory there are three heavens or degrees. And in order to attain the highest a man must enter into this order of the priesthood which, by the way, when the scripture was given, or when it was written down by Joseph scribe, the parenthetical statement, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage, was not part of the text. Hmm. That was added later by Brigham Young. But in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. Obtain what? Obtain the highest degree uh, in the celestial kingdom. He may enter into the others... But that is the end of his increase. He cannot have an increase. So, so before this, back in 1830, well, in the 1830s, late 1830s, Joseph was already teaching the possibility of eternal family, that you could be sealed to someone for eternity. Some of the earliest documents we have on that from, they just went blank on it, Wilford, uh, not Wilford Wood, W.W. Um, w. Phelps
2: mm.
1: and uh, Parley P. Pratt share in their journals or in their letters to their family that, hey, this wonderful doctrine, you could be sealed forever. But none of those said you had to be sealed. Mm. They didn't make your salvation contingent on your marital status. This was the first one that did that. Dr. comes 131, which said, no, for our ultimate purpose in life, it requires a man and a woman to be sealed together. And then, of course, if you go into section 132, it continues that. People often get lost in 132 because it it deals with plural marriage, which we'll talk about today, I think, a little bit also. Mm -hmm. but. They don't realize that the the first whole beginning has nothing to do with plural marriage. It has to do with eternal marriage. And so if you take 131 and 132, that really gives you your doctrinal base. And then, of course, in our class, we're going to go to the family proclamation. That's what the class is based off of. Um, in fact, we have 14 units. They're based off of each of the paragraphs of the family proclamation with a little bit of, a little bit of wiggle room in there. But you have a statement like this. We, the first Presidency in the council of 12 apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, solemnly proclaim that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God, so yet God likes it, and that the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. So, so you're beginning to see this concept of, of family's not just nice, marriage isn't just sweet if it happens. But it's actually central to the Creator's plan for our eternal destiny. Hmm. And so, those provide what you would say is, is, is foundational texts for it. But prophets, as you know, have been teaching for a long time. President Oaks, probably one of the more frequent speakers on this topic, right? And President Nelson, both of them. Funny thing, they're in the First Presidency now. Yeah. President Oaks, here's a, here's a couple thoughts for you. Our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. So think of section 131. In order to obtain the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, you have to have a man and a woman sealed together. You think of section 132, which reiterates that in very graphic detail. Why? Because it's central to God's plan for our ultimate destiny. What is our ultimate destiny? That's where a statement like this from present Oaks, our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. And then statements like this, the purpose, uh, this is Elder Oaks also, The purpose of mortal life and the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is to prepare the sons and daughters of God for their eternal destiny, dash, to become like our heavenly parents. Hmm. A fairly straightforward declaration that, that Heavenly Father is not interested in turning us into kind of heavenly cheerleaders, but that the goal of our heavenly parents is to help us become like them, which shouldn't seem so strange because that's kind of the goal
2: of
0: Yeah,
1: we experience this, that as mortals, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And so so I guess you'd say uh, when we're looking at at the doctrine of marriage, the doctrine of marriage cannot be understood outside of the plan of salvation. It can't be understood outside of our destiny to become like our heavenly parents really love a statement by Tatar Callister. He says this, it is this doctrine of identity that defines our potential destiny of godhood. If one does not correctly understand his divine identity, wish we could have his and hers in there, understand it's there, Mm -hmm. then he will never correctly understand his divine destiny. They are in truth inseparable partners. And so we begin our understanding of the concept of eternal family truthfully, not with marriage, but with our childhood to God, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs to God to become like God. Never is equal, never her equal, never heavenly mother's equal, but their goal for us is to help us become as they are and to receive all that they have. That's section 132 in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, So yeah, that's so, helpful. And, you know, just the other day, I was listening to an interview between two evangelical Christians and they got into the topic of marriage. And I think outside of our faith tradition in the Christian world, you know, there's a belief that marriage does not continue after life or nor does marrying, nor does any of those type of relationships continue, right? And so, this is such a, remarkable doctrine that's been revealed. And, and we especially look at, you know, heavenly yeah. parents, it's easy to think, wow, you mean there's a, a feminine divine as well? Like that's so exactly. powerful. That also means that there's a, mar- a an eternal, a divine marriage that's, right. that's happening, that's right. which is just as weighty and exciting as realizing it's, that we have a mother in heaven. It, it's huge.
1: The doctrine of mother in heaven is not a fringe doctrine. As the brethren have said, On the very church website, the essay on Heavenly Mother is that this is a cherished and important belief doctrine of ours. I teach, I've taught about 10,000 students at BYU. I'm an old man. (laughs) Given semester, three to 500 students, right? I wish you could look in the eyes of these bright, brilliant women as they come to begin to see the reality of a mother in heaven, that they're not meant to grow up to be a, a kind of a different version of Heavenly Father, but that they have a mother in heaven as well. And that 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 puts the plan of salvation into a familial framework. Yeah. Where we can begin to understand that it's our identity as the children of God to receive all that they have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as you like lay that foundation, like it's so fun to listen to because you just realize how miraculous this is, how these doctrines are so so miraculous and, and they're exciting and that you feel that energy. And then I try and put myself into the shoes of a, a single adult and it's sort of like, wow, that is miraculous and I don't get any piece of that, right? Or, and then you default, you know, leaders default to the, oh, well, we've been promised that someday he'll, you'll, you'll everybody will get the chance. It was like, uh, well. What about I, now? Yeah. What about now? So, yeah. after laying that foundation, like just speaking to single adults, like where do we go with that?
1: You bet. I think it's crucial that we acknowledge the pain to start with. Not all experience that. Mm-hmm. Some are bushy-eyed and, and bushy-tailed and bright-eyed and just happy yeah. as little clams. And they're just going through. And 20, they're happy. 30, they're happy. 40, they're still – they have – some are not affected. But others are, dear, beloved friends of mine who, who have experienced just psychic pain because they felt like, well, where am I? where am I in this plan? They have a hard time seeing themselves, whether they're simply single and haven't had an opportunity or or it hasn't worked or whether they experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or whatever the issue is that they're saying, where do I fit? And so I think I think it's crucial that we start by, by being honest and saying, yeah, I can understand how that could be painful mm. and not simply blowing it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the next life, it's all going to be good, which by the way, we believe in the next life yeah. it all will be yeah. good. But you don't have to wait till the next life for that goodness to start, right? I love a statement by Neil A. Maxwell. Oh, Neil A. Wexel, I just liked Neil L. Anderson. <laughs> when he was teaching in general conference 2016, he said this. We will continue to teach the Lord's pattern for families. But now with millions of members and the diversity we have in the children of the church, we need to be even more thoughtful and sensitive. Our church culture and vernacular are at times quite unique. It's a good way to put it. <laughs> the primary children are not going to stop singing. Families can be together forever. But when they sing, I am so glad when daddy comes home, or with father and mother leading the way, not all children will be singing about their own family. And we have to realize that. I was I was raised by two wonderful, wonderful alcoholic parents.
2: Mm.
1: My family did not... Matched the picture of what we learn. Families are, in theory, intended to be in this life, but that did not make of me a second-class citizen. Um, as Elder Gong and and several others that have actually got statements I'll, I'll share a little bit later have stated in General Conference, our our status with God isn't based on our marital status. It's based off our heart. It's based off our covenant connection with God. And so I, I'd simply say, as we as we continue to teach the doctrines, we realize. There are some that have a hard time seeing themselves in there and acknowledge that pain and live in that pain. Be willing to sit down with someone and let them share without doing what I'm I'm infamous, I wouldn't say famous, this is the bad part, <laughs> of wanting to solve, right? I'm yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, please solve. But no one is going to care squat of what you say if they don't think you understand where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, I think that's really crucial, like just making space. To acknowledge that pain because it's uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to be in a room yeah. where somebody's feeling pain. I want to swoop in there and, and make, make it all better, you know? That's right. And so, I think that's just great advice that it's not that there's some scripture if you read a certain way or a quote that the nobody's heard of. In the morning. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, but yeah. it's more of like just sitting with them and really, you know, the Savior was the master of that. Just sitting with them in the pain and saying, I bet that hurts. You know, I don't I don't fully understand that. I haven't lived your life, but I bet that really hurts. I'm willing to sit with you in it. Right? Exactly
1: where where i think i think we're getting better and better at that nowadays i think that that our culture is such that that, that is the expected reaction and it's the right one mm-hmm. uh without it nothing else works but i also think we forget that the savior never stopped there yeah right like elder holland's fond of saying you know god will take you right where you are he just won't leave you where you are right he's going to continue and so yes live with that person but then ultimately not only, yes, it'll work out in the next life, but say, okay, what about now? What do we need to know now so that we can experience joy now? Can, can I share a few principles, yeah, a few let's do thoughts? It. I think of these as kind of four overarching principles that help us to understand the sealing ordinance, that help us understand how this fits for a single or a divorced person. Both my parents divorced, and that's rich and ripe in my family, what are the principles that can help us understand how God's going to make it all right as long as we stay covenant connected to him? So one, no one will be denied any blessing that Heavenly Father has promised all his children because of something outside their control. I'm going to share a couple statements from the prophet, so it's not just from Brother Goodman, because that would be yeah, very yeah. scary. <laughs> just because Brother Goodman said, you should never believe it. But if prophets say it, then, then we're a little yeah, bit yeah. better. So, But God will not deny any blessing to his children because of something outside of their control. And so when we are doing all that we can in righteousness, no matter what our situation is, the Lord will take that and turn it into gold. And nobody will be denied. Pick your, pick your challenge. Pick your mental health challenge. Pick your physical health challenge. Pick your geographic isolation challenge. Pick your social awkwardness challenge. You know, whatever it is. Pick the reality that some people don't feel an attraction to some of the opposite gender or they just feel uncomfortable in their skin as far as their own gender. There are many reasons why people may not, at this moment, see themselves in the plan of salvation. I think it's absolutely crucial that we start by saying, you're there. You're there. I can't promise you that this is there or that is there, same-sex attraction is there or, or some aspect of... Physical or mental health, whatever it is. I, I can't say that, but I can look you in the eye and say without a doubt, you're in the plan of salvation. Heavenly Father has a plan for you and you will not be denied any blessing ultimately that God promises all of His children. In other words, until there's hope, until there's hope that, that things will feel better than they sometimes do right now, there's no way to move forward. So we start with that. Two, God will not, our Heavenly Father will not abrogate agency. Abrogate's a funky term.
0: You always teach me a word. Every time we do an interview, I I learn a word. (laughs) basically means to stop or limit or take away.
1: God cannot be God and take away agency. Now, agency doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want without any consequences. Right. But you'll get what you want as long as that thing that you want is righteous. And so if your desire is righteous is in line with Heavenly Father's will for His children, He's going to make it possible. You might say, I don't see how it's possible. Right now, it's not. And you go, I totally agree. Right now, where you are thinking what you're thinking, it may not be possible. But to God, it is. He does not limit agency. He does not make it impossible for us to receive all that He has given if we're simply willing to do what He's asked us to do. Principle number three. God loves us with a perfect love and will do everything in his power to exalt us. I had an interesting situation when I was a fairly new convert. Joined the church a year later, went on a mission, came back. I was off with my brother-in-law, good friend, and I was kind of bemoaning the reality of my own family of origin. Mother and father alcoholics, drug abuse, jail time, just you name it. We were the poster child of dysfunctionality, right? And I was bemoaning the thought that I worried that I wouldn't be with my parents for eternity. And my brother-in-law, not a majorly churchy guy in any way, but my brother-in-law, just a good man, looked at me and said, Mike, do you really think you love your parents more than God? And I went, whoa, that's not what I was saying. He said, yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. What would you do for your parents if it were within your control? everything. Would you force them? No, I wouldn't force them because that's not love. There's this agency thing. Go back to principle two. But do you really think God won't give them all that they're willing to receive? And it was like, all of a sudden, a massive weight fell from my shoulders. I know the goodness of my parents. Neither of them were up for the gospel. I tried, (laughs) but I know the goodness of my parents. I know I couldn't force them. I know I can't nor, nor will God force them. But God kind of likes him more than I do and has a whole lot more knowledge than I do. And so if I understand that he loves with a perfect love and he's not giving up, he's going to do everything he can to help. That then can help us when we are faced with situations we don't understand, we don't have hope, we can't figure out how in our own head it's going to work. It can work. And then last but not least, and, and this comes down to the concept of, yeah, cool, but what about now? Through the grace of Christ, Heavenly Father can provide solutions to temporary situations outside our control. Hmm. No, our single friends don't have to wait till the next life to experience joy. That's pure nonsense. Adam felt that men might be men or that they might have joy is what the Savior taught. Now, ultimately, none of us have that joy in fullness in this life. None of us, we we were joking before we started, none of us are going to get out of this alive. None of us are are (laughs) challenge free. I think you're aware I've just been diagnosed with my fourth case of cancer. I'd rather not have cancer. I didn't want my third or my second or my first. I don't want the treatments I'm about to start. Having said that, the grace of Christ can do for me in my situation what he can do for all in their situation. He can help us learn to live life joyously now. And that's what the prophets are trying to, they're trying to help us see, yes, the next life is going to be peachy. Stop worrying about that. Start worrying about what you can do right now. Can I share just a few statements yep. just, just for the sheer fun of it? Yeah. So a couple, just, just so you know, it's not Mike Goodman's, <laughs> it's not thus same Mike Goodman. That'd be so scary. President Kimball, we promise you that in as far as eternity is concerned, no soul will be deprived of rich and high and eternal blessings for anything which they, that person could not help. That the Lord never fails in his promises. That every righteous person will receive eventually all to which the person is entitled. And and this is interesting. And in which he or she has not forfeited through any fault of his or her own. So, yeah, agency is real and consequences to actions are real. What the Savior is desperately saying and what President Nelson is just pleading with us is stay covenant connected. If you'll stay covenant connected to God, there's nothing you will lose. There is no no righteous desire that you could ever hope for that will not all be yours if you'll simply stay with me, President Nelson. How about that? Through no feeling of their own, they some some individuals in life they deal with the trial of trials of life alone. But we all reminded that be we all reminded that in the Lord's own man time, no blessing would be withheld from His faithful saints. The Lord will judge and reward each individual according to heartfelt desires as well as deeds. And so present, Nelson is saying, listen, don't fear. Don't live life thinking, oh my goodness, I'll never have this. It's just not right. It's not accurate. I'm not going to read all these, but, but literally, Lorenzo Snow, Harold B. Lee, Spencer W. Kimber, Howard W. Hunter, Gordon B. Hinckley, Thomas S. Monson, Russell M. Nelson, how that for a few prophets, yeah. have all made the exact same statements. God will make all possible if we will simply do, if we'll stay connected. Then we'll receive all, all that we can, all that we want. But what does it mean for now, right? Richard G. Scott. I love Edward Scott. Yeah, He said this, throughout your life on earth, seek diligently to fulfill the fundamental purposes of this life through the ideal family. Sounds like a very typical thing to say, right? Mm-hmm. Then he says this, while you may not have yet reached that ideal, do all you can through obedience and faith in the Lord to consistently draw as close to it as you're able. If for the present that does not include sealing in the temple to a righteous companion, lift it, pray for it, exercise faith that you'll obtain it. We cannot say whether that blessing will be obtained on this side of the veil or beyond, and we don't make promises God hasn't. God hasn't said when it's going to happen, but the Lord will keep His promises. In His infinite wisdom, He will make possible all you qualify in worthiness to receive. So, so let, let me let me kind of sum that up. What he, okay. What he's trying to? What the prophets are saying is: Listen, the world would build into you and I fear anxiety that we're an insecurity that we're not enough, or that or that we've been fed a unfair.
0: Or hand of cards, right?
1: Hand of cards, exactly, for (laughs) like better. (laughs) It'll work. It'll work. (laughs) And the reality is, of course, this life. I mean, even with with half of one eye, can look out and say, life is not fair, and that's correct. But God cannot be unfair. God cannot be unfair, and He promises compensatory blessings for all of us if we'll simply stay connected to Him, and we don't have to wait. For the joy to begin. One of the things I desperately try to teach my students at BYU is, is learn to live relationally now. Mm. You are a part of a family. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a brother. You're a sister. You're an aunt. You're an uncle. Learn to live relationally. What Elder Scott said, if for the present that's not ceiling, well, get as close to it as you can. Live familially. Fancy term, which means value family, right? Yeah. Value friendship, live relationally. As we do that, we realize, oh my goodness, God is a relational being. As we do that, we begin to build a relationship, not just horizontally, but vertically
2: with God.
1: Yeah. And then life becomes rich. Think about this. Was Elder Gong in the last conference who said, we crossed over a decade ago to where over half of the church? Yeah is now either single or divorced. Well, not married. Yeah. Single, single, widowed, something, something, right? So are we really saying that that means that over 50% of the church is doomed to misery? Do we really (laughs) believe that nonsense? Ask any single person who's actively living life and doing their very best. Are they miserable? No. Are they married? No. Not yet. What I would point I want to make somewhere in what we do today is the concept of none of us are broken. Yeah. We're in process. That's a totally different way of looking at my life.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm not broken with all my imperfections and I got oodles of imperfections, but I'm in process. And if I will live relationally, live relationally with God, bind myself to Him, live relationally with those around me, whether that includes a romantic one on one marriage at this point or not, love, live, lose yourself in service to others. And today will be a joyous day.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's uh, so, so helpful. And a few things that I want to point out, like just in the context of leadership and whatnot is, you know, you reference I think in principle one, that, that God won't, God won't deny anybody anything, especially these righteous yeah. blessings. Right. And so we could follow that example of saying, you know, I'm going to be an individual, especially a leader that doesn't deny them of, certain opportunities right uh, now uh, you know as far as in the context of callings there's a handful of administrative callings that very, yeah very very, very little very right few. but uh just you know from a recent general conference that's been the encouragement we need sure. to not deny them of some of these beautiful opportunities in our ward families yeah. and and so that's i think i love to think that in the context that god's not denying them anything so that's why right. do we sometimes <laughs> deny them and, things? and
1: god mourns when we do
0: yeah right
1: because He doesn't love his married children and and like his single children. Mm -hmm. He loves us all. He wants our happiness. That's the the whole purpose of our existence, right? The world is selling us a mess of pottage when it's trying to convince us that if you're not married, you can't have happiness. If you're not in a stereotypical Latter-day Saint family, you're an outsider. You don't fit. Now, mind you, I understand that people can treat others like that, and when we do, shame on us. Let's get some repentance going on, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not outsiders to God. Yeah, they're not outsiders to those who truly know and understand the gospel. And and we do we have to do better? Yes, we do. And I'm not in any way wanting to guilt someone who's feeling like that. But I'm want, wanting them to understand: you belong. You belong, and you're right at this point. You're the majority. Yeah, <laughs> So so you're, you're, you're not the minority, right?
0: Yep. So. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, another example of that God loves us, obviously, I mean, that's primary level uh, doctrine, but it's so true. And so the more that we can reach out and love those single adults in our circles is helpful. Right. And, and oftentimes we think, and as I've interviewed other single adults for this uh, summit, that's been a strong message of of stories of people who really love them. And it's not like, oh, I, I sat next to you in the pew, like, yeah, that's good enough, yeah, right? But like, yeah. no, you're like coming over to our family dinner, you're like part of us, like, like really, you know, making them part of that, that relationship, whether it's in your family or in the the local community can go a long way, you exactly. know? And then the, uh, the covenant connected, like as a leader, like that's sort of the direction you can push them rather than well, uh, how many days you did this week or how many times you swipe white, right, then left or whatever, <laughs> right, right? It's more right. of like, how can you, as as a single Latter-day Saint, be covenant connected? What do you think? Yeah. You know, and, and that's where the focus is that relationship with God and our Savior, rather than, you know, we've got to go find somebody. That's right.
1: right. That's right. Absolutely true.
0: <laughs> and then just the, it would just, it's along the same line, just live relationally now. I because mean, it, god made us that we are relationship yeah. creatures don't do well right and there's no way around that yeah. there, uh, even especially now it feels like we're connected more than we are in reality yeah. we really need people in our lives and and uh, lean into those relationships so
1: and by the way quick point that sometimes is, is is misinterpreted that need for relationships has nothing to do with personality traits it has nothing mm. to do with introverted or extroverted oh, or, that's a great point we all need relationships we all need to feel understood and loved. And just so happens the savior taught us the best way to do that. It's always kind of the paradox. How do you find yourself? You lose yourself. Yeah. So you can sit back and say, woe is me. No one's being nice to me. Or we can say, okay, who can I go and help at this point? Um, <laughs> quick story. Yeah. This is not part of what I was thinking, but all right, right. so I had a, I had this wonderful young lady when I was a bishop at BYU in my ward. And she was she was fantastic in all ways. She was graduated from BYU already, working already, returned missionary, just bright. But I had a hard time getting her to activities. She just never came. she came come to church and that was it. So one day I was poking her and just saying, hey, I wanted, oh, Bishop, you know, it's just not my thing. I'm kind of shy. And I said, I said, question for you. I just had this a brainstorm. I now know it's inspiration, but back then not that brainstorm. <laughs> I said, on your mission, you're a return missionary. I right? said, yeah. She said, what'd you do on a, when a, when you brought an investigator to church? Did you just let him be and see what happened? And she and said, of course not. You know, we slobbered up one side and down the other. We attached them to this person and that person. And I said, can I give you an assignment? And she got that, you know, oh dear, what are you going to do? Right. And I said, I said, I want you to come to word prayer. You know, we have all these dorky uh, callings at BYU. <laughs> I said, I want you to come to ward prayer. And, oh, bishop. And I could see her drawing. I said, no, 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 no. She said, I don't want you to socialize. I said, I want you to walk in the door and I want you to survey that room and find one person who you think feels more awkward than you do. And then I want you to go talk to that person. Can you do that? She sat there for a second. And said, yeah, I, I could do that. She had gotten herself stuck into the concept of, I have to socialize. I have to be the life of the party. Work or the room, work right? Work the room. And that—that that is so not me. You put me in a group of people and I'm a people watcher. I'll get in a corner and just start watching. And I could do it all day long. But she did. She came to the next one and she looked around. I could see in her eyes. She's like, oh. She found this young man who was a bit by himself. And I could, I could just see her kind of, okay, here we go. And so she put on her missionary shoes, walked over there. And started chatting just just a little bit side to side, and he'd smile and she'd smile a little bit and, and it was fun, and you know, no sparks or anything. but we went home. Next week, she came back to word prayer, and you want to guess who she sat next to? and yeah, <laughs> the next week she came back and and yes, they ended up getting sealed, which is cool. I love that, but the reality is, I wasn't trying to get her sealed. Well, that's a lot. If you're a BYU bishop, you're always trying to help your, your folks find love. But my goal was to help her to connect, to live relationally. Yeah, You don't have to socialize, serve. Serving is much less threatening, right? And so if we can help our, our brothers and sisters who aren't married, stop sitting back and going, woe is me. There's reason for the woe is me. I'm not I'm not yeah, loving it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But it doesn't help to sit and woe is me. Gird up our loins, fresh courage take. Go love someone. Yeah. As we love someone, our own light
0: builds, our own life builds,
1: and the Spirit of God builds in our life. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. All right. So uh, let's jump to this and we can jump around to some of these on our outline. But I'm thinking of those single sisters uh, out there who maybe they know someday they'll have the opportunity of marriage, but then they also worry, but yeah, but what if it's in this eternal polygamous relationship or plural marriage relationship? So, you know, the the concerns and questions, I mean, where do we start to understand, uh, you know, plural marriage in our doctrine? Yeah.
1: So plural marriage was a marital practice that was not the doctrine, but the practice based around a specific cer- set of circumstances in our history. And when I say our history, go back. Your earliest plural marriages are recorded in the biblical era. You've got Abraham, you've got Moses, you've got a whole bunch of uh, stuff going on there. But long story short, plural marriage is a system of marriage that the Lord institutes on rare occasions When he sees the need, and it's almost always, interestingly, it's almost always at the beginning of a dispensation. If you go back and you look at when plural marriage has been commanded or allowed, it's almost always as the Lord is starting a dispensation, right? But one way or the other, that also means that there are those who are sealed for time and eternity to more than one person. And members of the church, as a general rule, know that that happens with A man and two women, but they don't realize, doctrinally speaking, that also happens with a woman and Hmm. more than one man. If you go to the General Handbook, it explains this, but let me, this this is just from the gospel essay on plural marriage, says this, okay, moreover, members are permitted to perform ordinances on behalf of deceased men and women who married more than once on this earth, sealing them to all their spouses to whom they were legally married, If you're a man and you are married to five women, you can be sealed to those five women. If you're a woman and sealed to five men, you can be sealed to those five men that have passed away, right? Then this important statement, the precise nature of these relationships in the next life is not known. And many family relationships will be sorted out in the life to come. Latter-day Saints are encouraged to trust in our wise Heavenly Father who loves his children and does all things for their growth. It reminds me, I'm going to go back to the statement by by President Oakes on this concept of trusting God.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, before I do that, okay. can I back up just a yeah, little bit more? Oh, yeah. sorry, I got to go back a little bit more. Do you remember one of the points that I brought up, one of my four foundational points was God won't abrogate agency? Yeah. One of the things that means is you will never be stuck in a relationship you don't want to be in.
2: Yeah. You
1: will never be forced into a relationship you don't want to be in. So, so let's assume for a moment that there's a man and a woman and the man, it doesn't matter, man dies. Now, let's simplify this uh, for right now. Woman dies, right? Man is, uh, lives for another two, three years, finds another um, person, marries her. He's now sealed to both, right? How's it gonna work in the next life? Yeah, good answer, good answer. Yeah, we I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> we simply know it will and it'll be glorious. But will wife number one be stuck in a plural marriage? Definitely not. No. No, a couple statements for you here. Joseph Ealing Smith. The dead will have the privilege of making known the things they desire and are entitled to receive. In this way, no soul will be neglected and the work of the Lord will be protected. Elder Gong. Marriage covenants are binding by mutual choice of those making them. A reminder of God's and our respect for agency and the blessing of his help when we unitedly seek it. So, we come back to this concept of, well, I don't want to be stuck in a relationship I don't want to. Cool. You won't be. God will not abrogate agency. Nobody will be forced into a plural or a singular marriage they don't want to be in. Yeah. Because in order for that to be efficacious, the ceiling to be efficacious, you have to desire it and live worthy of it. Right? And so nobody's going to be stuck in that situation. Now, having said that, oh, baby, um, there's a history... That helps us understand that there are situations of plurality of marriage, plurality of spouses that were joyous and happy. And to the best of our understanding, those relationships will exist in the next life. But there has been not one statement by a prophet that says, you it said to the church as a whole, you have to be willing to live polygamously. to be exalted and have eternal life. There were specific people where prophets said, this is you right now, but there's never been a statement by a prophet to the church as a whole that said plural marriage is necessary for salvation, which is good because there's kind of not enough people for that to work out, right? Yeah, There's kind of this 50-50 mix business going on. And so no one, A, need worry that they're going to be stuck in a relationship they don't want to. B, no one need worry that plural marriage is a requirement in the eternities. C, it's possible that plural marriage may actually not may, according to the, the statements of prophets, will exist in the next life, but it'll exist in ways where all those involved have exercised their agency and desire that relationship. Yeah. So that's with that, we just smile and go. Shouldn't <laughs> right. be, it's not part of our it shouldn't be part of our worry because it's never possible to be forced into that situation
0: yeah and i, I you know that as far as the abrogate and agency whatnot i heard that a lot in the context when i was a bishop for individuals who would just get out of a divorce they just hate this individual and they come in and say bishop let's cancel that ceiling let's go over what paperwork right and sort of slow them down and be like yeah but there's still a there's still an ordinance there that's intact but any anything you'd add to yeah, that, yeah, that absolutely. Perspective? this is this is
2: hugely
1: important I actually use an example. Oh, you know, I don't have a slide on. I do have a slide on this,
0: but it's just not here. Well, we, we can add it we in. We can add in it post, in, there, yeah. right? The reality, <laughs> I
1: use a, a silly analogy. I try and get as far out from my students as possible so that doesn't affect anyone and we're not, we're not <laughs> yeah. in a sense. So I say, okay, imagine there's, there's Sam and Susie. Sam's a return missionary, Susie's a return missionary. They fall in love, they get married, they have two babies, and then Sam becomes an ax murderer. And I always ask, anyone have family that's ax murdering? Okay. <laughs> no so offense, right? We're safe, right, at this point? Okay, so we're safe. So Sam's an ax murderer, and I'll show them what's happening to the sealing covenant at that point. You know, we usually use the triangle concept. We've uh-huh. got God and Sam and Susie, right? Say, so what happened to Sam and God's covenant connection? Severed, right? Severed, right? What happened to Sam and Susie's connection? Severed. The ordinance is in place, mm-hmm. but in order for that... The Holy Spirit of promise to bind that, it has to be based on righteousness and the desire of both people. Guess what? That's gone. It's gone. (laughs) Uh Susie is no longer sealed. Technically, she's sealed, but she's no longer, the sealing is no longer efficacious to Sam. But Susie's sealing to God, which was part of the marital covenant, Mm -hmm. is still intact. And many members don't realize it, that when you are married, you're making a covenant both to each other and to God. And so as a result of that, Sam's an axe murderer and he's got problems, right? Susie is not only not stuck with Sam, Susie is continuing to draw the blessings that come from her sealing to God. And that sealing can, I mean, it's up to Susie and the First Presidency how they want to deal with that. Right. But then if Susie wants to remarry, that sealing will be officially cut, and then she'll be sealed to yeah.
0: whoever she wants to be. Yeah. And that uh, that triangle will be restored at some point, exactly. right? And that's why, I mean, you say, well, why don't we just, you know, seal individuals to God, you know, yeah, yeah. what go that way. But there's there's power in that relational there, there ordinance,
1: right? Well, and, and, and you raised a really important point, Kurt, which is that when Joseph taught the sealing ordinance, this, this goes back to the concept of plural marriage and a, a bunch of other things. There's really two aspects to that, that, that we are being sealed to God. And interestingly, in the early church, baptism was often referred to as a sealing to God. Then hmm. we were baptized, we we're binding ourselves to God. And and you can think of it that way, right? Yeah. Because you're making a covenant with God when you're baptized. And so there's the covenant connection with God. Our spouse has no power to take that away. None. Zero. That is between you and God. And that is ultimately going to be based on your integrity, your faith, your desires, right? But God doesn't just want to bind us to him. God wants to help us become as God is. Hence, as Elder Oak says, to become as our heavenly parents. Well, that doesn't happen if you don't have a husband and a wife, where both are bound together and bound to God. And so you have the the covenant, not only from you and God, but from God to you too as a couple. Very important. In fact, that's something that we we're going to talk about. Shall we do it now? Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's jump into it. Let's do it. Um, and, and I guess I'll just insert here that I love the concept of why we need another individual in that is it sort of gives us an arena to practice the, that commitment to another person so that we're better at being committed to God, right? That's that, absolutely true. Yeah. Absolutely true. And, and ultimately,
1: one of the things that we, we try to help our students understand at BYU is that the, the ceiling between a, a, a husband and wife is primary. The sailing between husband, wife, and children is very important. But let's not pretend that we're going to live in a 1950s family up in the, in the, in the next <laughs> right. life. Our children aren't going to be living in our living room up, yeah. up in the celestial kingdom. They're hopefully going to be living with their spouses. Mm-hmm. So the primary relationship is always husband and wife. And mind you, I love my children. I want them bound to me. And, and the good news is this. My children have no power to break that binding tie. Mm. They can sink themselves to hell," to quote a prophet. I don't want them to do that, but they can. But they cannot break the binding tie between my sweetheart, I, and them, because that's based on our faithfulness, not
2: their faithfulness.
1: Hmm. Okay. Seal right. ordinance. Yeah. Four four aspects, and 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 this is not Brother Goodman. This this is a dear friend, uh, Creel Covert. Have you ever heard that name? I have not. Creel Covert was a member of the seventy. He is a dear friend of mine. He was my area president when I was a mission president. Oh, cool. Really awesome guy. Anyway, he wrote an article that was published in the Enzyme in June, 1998, which meant he wrote it the year before, because that's the way it works. Um, uh-huh. Long story short, that's when he was my mission president and it came out. Your area. Uh, area area, president, area president. I was a mission president. <laughs> Thank right. you. And he taught that the sealing ordinance has four specific elements. And if we want our, our, our young adults, our singles, our marriage to understand this, they have to understand the different parts. You got one. Individual covenants and blessings. So we talked about that a little bit earlier. When Sam and Susie are married, they're not only making a covenant with, with each other, they're making a covenant with God. And Sam's ax murdering does not impact Susie's yeah. connection. So an individual covenant that is based on our faithfulness to God, not our spouse's faithfulness to God, nor our spouse's faithfulness to us. In other words, no one can damn us. No one can damn us. So one, our individual covenants with God. Two, joint covenants. These are the things that only are in place when two people are true to their covenant. Let me read what he says. Elder Colfert, the two of you jointly will make promises, commandments, and covenants with your heavenly father and will make covenants to receive each other as husband and wife. You then will jointly receive promises of blessings conditioned upon your joint faithfulness. Notice the word joint all the time here. The continued faithful obedience of both of you is essential if the promised blessings are to be received jointly. This is because the promises are made to you as one, that is, as a single unit consisting of two halves. And so that joint covenant and blessing when when my ex-murderer Sam did what he did, that blessing is actually taken from both Sam and Susie because that is only given jointly. Wait a minute, Susie's going to be okay. We're going to work this out, right? But that blessing is actually dependent or contingent on both people being true to it not only the blessing though the commitment hence when sam decides to be an axe murderer he breaks that commitment to his wife and she is no longer stuck with him right three joining in celestial marriage this is the part as he said this element qualifies you to live together as husband and wife under the laws of the land Hear that you are united forever, becoming one flesh before the Lord and forming a new family unit that if you are faithful and obedient, it will last forever. So th- when most people think about ceilings, they're thinking about the third part. Yeah. As where you're super lewd. Yeah. That, right? <laughs> right. And then four, the fourth part of the sealing ordinance, blessing for children born in the covenant. Or in my case, where both my children are adopted, sealed after the,
2: mm-hmm.
1: after the, our ceiling, right? Sealed to us. Uh, all children born to the two of you are born in the, Blessings of the sealing covenant, thus, it is common to say that your children are born in the covenant. They're entitled to the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. And then he outlines those. And so so we're talking about the sealing ordinance. We're really talking about four specific elements, individual promises we make with God, joint promises we make with God, the actual binding, the sealing, the super glue, whatever you want to call it, and the blessings that then entail upon our children as a result of that. So four aspects of that sealing covenant that that are necessary for us to actually understand and that understanding those four elements then helps us begin to work through some of the the contingencies that we see divorce death remarriage when you start to say okay let's think through those the not not just the four elements of the ceiling ordinance but remember what we talked about that that god loves us he won't abrogate agency when you start to put this all together you realize that no one's ever stuck in a relationship they don't want to be in no one is ever going to be denied any blessing that God would give to all his children. We don't know the exact configuration of family units necessarily with all the complexity that goes yeah. with that in the next life. But as Elder Oakes said, let me, oh, let me share this is good stuff. Gotta love President Oakes. This is what he said. For all questions about the spirit world. Now he's not about the spirit world. I'm going to expand it a little bit because it's true of the next phase after that, right? Mm-hmm. I suggest two answers. First, Remember that God loves his children and will surely do what is best for each of us. Second, remember this familiar Bible teaching, which has been most helpful to me on a multitude of unanswered questions. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. This concept of trusting in the Lord. Trust in the Lord is a familiar and true teaching of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, that same principle applies to unanswered questions about ceilings in the next life or desired readjustments because of events or transgressions in mortality. What happens if my spouse walks with their covenants and we still love each other? What happens with that, right? There is so much we do not know that our only sure reliance is to trust in the Lord and His love for His children. This concept that if we can trust the Lord, it's not that we have all the detailed answers, because we don't. Anyone who says that, you know that they're blowing smoke at you, right? <laughs> but I love what President Iring said. Let me, let me, and this kind of ties this whole section together plural marriage, the sealing ordinance, and the and the concept of the singles and how they can find peace. Present Iring, for some that eternal joy may seem a faint or even fading hope, the eternal joy of marriage and family and all that good stuff, right? Parents, children, brothers, and sisters may have made choices that seem to disqualify them from eternal life. You may even wonder whether you have yet been qualified through the atonement of Jesus Christ. A prophet of God once offered me counsel that gives me peace. I was worried that a choices of others might make it impossible for our families to be together forever. He had the same experience I did, Hmm. probably before me. He, the, the prophet said, you are worrying about the wrong problem you live worthy of the celestial kingdom, stay covenant connected, and the family arrangements will be more wonderful than you can imagine. I love that quote. That's such a good quote. Yeah, that's great. And for those of us who come from divorced families and, and all that goes with that and a, and a angelic mother who loved the church but wouldn't join it and a father who didn't wasn't even close to being willing to do it, I can trust... Heavenly Father loves my dad more than I do. Loves yeah. my mom more than I do. Loves us, and will give us every ounce that we're willing to receive.
0: Love it. All right. So here's a, a curveball question, just that I didn't warn you before. So what's the the whole the whole concept of of servants in the celestial kingdom? That's sometimes a you know, the the singles, the adults are single, then there'll be servants in the celestial kingdom to those at the highest level.
1: So I'm going to take it back to this concept of God will deny no person every blessing that that person not only is willing to receive, but will live faithful of. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a servant in the celestial kingdom of anyone who doesn't want to be a servant in the celestial kingdom. So in other words, the thought of, oh my goodness, what if I just... I'm not good enough. Or whatever it is, you know, insecurities or anger or whatever it is, right? The Lord is saying to us, listen, trust me. Come to me. Stay covenant connected with me and open your heart. Right now, you may not be able to receive everything that that I want to give you. Okay. That doesn't make me love you less. Uh, It just means that we're in for the long haul. Heavenly Father's not impatient, Hmm. but we often are. And so, does someone want to be in an eternally binding relationship in the next life? It's theirs. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's not if you're handsome or if you're socially suave or or if you don't experience same-sex attraction or if you pick your if. There are no ifs. Do we want it? Are we willing to live faithful to the Lord's covenants and commandments in the process of getting there? If so, there's no yeah. servants in the celestial kingdom.
0: Yeah. And I live just the concept of if you want a relationship, there's always one there with God. Yeah. You know, you can it's always there and, and that he hopes you take that one every time.
1: Right? And then he'll do with us what we couldn't otherwise do with ourselves. And and I I come back to this concept because it's really so important. Hopelessness is death. This concept of I just don't see a possibility. I learned an interesting lesson as a mission president. I Back in my day, back, you know, when you walked uphill both ways in the snow. Back in my day, we had zone conference every month. We got new missionaries every month. We interviewed every missionary every month. Oh wow. You so were busy. I, I was busy. <laughs> I mean,
0: they're already busy. I, I was
1: on a plane twice a week for three years. And you're you know. in
0: Thailand, right? In Thailand, so, yeah. right?
1: I had probably about one person out of every group that came to me that tried to go home early. You know, I can't do this. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm sick. Whatever it was. Probably about thirty plus that I had in the whole mission, I learned some powerful lessons working with them. One of the very first things I learned was, until I could help them realize that I wasn't asking them to live in the same psychic pain they were currently feeling for their mm. whole mission, I could not help them. As long as they thought to themselves, "I'm stuck. I'm miserable. I, I, if I stay, this," is all. yeah,
0: we just have to it, just right? white knuckle it, right? Yeah, you, it won't they, work. They couldn't do what they needed
1: to. To work their way out of the homesickness, the sadness, the depression, the anxiety, you know. And so my first task as a mission present, besides loving them and just letting them, letting them know they're okay was to, to have, help them have hope, hope in a brighter future. That same principle applies when we're talking about marital relationships, whether you're married and it's not working well or you're not married and you want it to be or whatever your issue is, right? Until we have hope, there's no getting to the next step. Once we have hope, then we can open our heart to the influence of the Lord, of the Spirit. And then God can begin to work magic that it's not Harry Potter. It's, it's <laughs> right. grace. It's the good stuff. The magic that we ultimately ultimately cannot get without his help. And so helping our, our singles see that it'll be more wonderful than anything you can imagine. And no, you do not have to live white knuckled now in misery. In the next life, yay, you get happiness. Yeah, that's not going to motivate anyone. Yeah. Live relationally now. Do everything we can to draw closer to God and to our brothers and sisters around us. If that doesn't include an eternal ceiling at this point, okay. Go do what the majority of the church is doing. Live life meaningfully and passionately. And as you do that, that's where the doors will open up.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Anything we've missed or question or thought? or I'm sure we have missed something. I'll get the yeah, emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so. it's all good. Yeah, I know. I
1: know. <laughs> one, one important concept that I, I hinted at earlier that I would, I would simply reiterate, and that's this concept that if you are right now in a situation where you're not where you want to be, familially or maritally or whatever it is, Satan would convince you and I that we are Irrevocably broken, that were just damaged goods. God never sees His children as damaged goods. He just doesn't do that. If we can help each other, if we could put our arms around our brothers and sisters who are feeling lonely and sad, and let sit with them, let them share the the difficulty and and, and acknowledge the reality to that, then get up and live, love them. If. I were talking to bishops and stake presidents, do everything in your power to help those that are in your stake that are not necessarily married or in a family situation or that are married and it's a bitter family situation or that were married and are divorced. Help them realize they're not broken. The situation may not be good. Don't whitewash the situation, but and they might be struggling. Welcome to mortality. All of us are, Right. They're not broken. They're in process. As we realize that we're in process, that creates the concept of hope. In process means I'm going to live life every day relationally. I'm going to love. I'm going to serve. I'm going to grow. That is not a miserable life. That doesn't deny the fact that someone still may feel lonely. That doesn't deny the reality that someone may still feel the missing part that comes with, I want to, eternal intimate relationship and I'm not in one now. Again, don't deny that. Don't pretend it's not a big deal. Just go be happy, right? That's not the way it works. Acknowledge that. But you don't help by saying, yeah, you, you are kind of hopeless, aren't you? There's not much you can do here. Well, you know, just grin and bear it. Right? Mm-hmm. Love that person. Sit with that person. Pray with that person. Then get off your knees and walk with that person. Go serve. Go love. Encourage that person. To lose themselves because that's how we find ourselves. Don't minimize the pain, but don't wallow in it. Realize that if we're in process, and we all are. And by the way, find the happiest married person you can find. They're in process too. Yeah. There ain't no such thing as a perfect being. There's only Christ and, and he's gone and you can't marry him. And so it's, it's done. You're, <laughs> you are now an imperfect world then, right? And so yeah. as a result of that, all of us are in process. Yeah. So let's love each other. And encourage each other live well now love it oh go ahead one more thought because you you'd asked about the proclamation oh yeah yeah
0: remember that yeah because that's sometimes can be uh, there's gonna be oh, some hey, friction God. there or uh, yeah, 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 t- tension yeah, yeah tension there that tension like oh maybe i'll just ignore that until i'm married <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly you actually asked me i wish we had like an hour we don't and i know we gotta, we gotta be quiet here in a moment but okay. what can single adults learn from the proclamation is there comfort in the proclamation My statement would be, this is a very technical statement, oodles and oodles and oodles. Hmm. We choose what we're going to focus on. Do we? Satan, Satan does not like us. Sorry, I don't think that's a revelation to anyone. He's always going to try and get us to focus on what we don't have, what we think we'll never have, and what is out of our control. So if we read the proclamation thing about what don't I have, what don't I see a possible way of having, and what do I have no control of getting? That's a depressing document, hmm. right? What if we read it for what it contains that we can focus on? All of a sudden, that document is magic. Married, single, divorce. It speaks of a God who's speaking to his prophets. It speaks to the fact that He is that we are his children. It speaks to the fact that we can be bound to him through sacred ordinances, that he is... Desires of living in us. It speaks to the worth of our very soul. It speaks to the the sacredness of individuals and relationships. There are so many beautiful truths. Don't let Satan pin us in this little box. What can't I do? What do I think I'll never have? And what's out of my control? Whenever you're asking about those three things, you're guaranteed misery. So if you look at this and say, "Yeah, the family proclamation says so I should be married," like right. You can't force anyone right now, so stop pretending, and if you can't control that, stop going there. Look at what he's just said about the the worth of your soul, that you're a beloved son or daughter of God, that your destiny is to become like God. and I can just go on and on and on, and it's it's rich and thick, yeah,
0: it's worth engaging in, it for is. sure, no matter your marital status or exactly uh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Well, I, I think we hit the big points, right? Yeah, we, we that was a great discussion. And, and I'm sure, like I said, I'll probably get emails be like, oh, Kurt, you missed this point and that point. You should have asked him that. But I think this is a good, you know, we can't uh, build Rome in one episode. Yeah. yeah there we go. <laughs> so, but this is great. And the last question I have is if you're in a room full of, of bishops, Relief Society presidents, other leaders, and you sort of are, are done this to some extent, but what final encouragement would you give them? It's a worthy
1: question. Present Oaks? President Nelson and many others have asked us to focus on two things that we often think are in tension with each other. It goes by a bunch of different names, but the, the one that President Nelson is, and President Oaks have used most frequently is love and law. Hmm. If I were speaking to priesthood leaders, relief study leaders, young men, young women leaders, I would say the very first thing you have to do if you have any hope of being of help you have to sincerely love those that you serve. This is not rocket science. They could care less what you think or want or know if they don't feel valued for where they are, if they don't feel loved for who they are, if they don't see that you care. The old adage, they don't care what you know until they know how much you care is is just true. And so it starts with, you want a right to try to bless someone? Love. So it starts there, but if that's all we do, to be very frank, we're leaving them helpless. Oh, they got a good friend in us. And I'm not in any way indicating that we should try to be their savior, that we should take over for them. But once they know that they are loved, then we have the opportunity to say, did you know that God has something for you vastly better than you have for yourself? Then we can begin to draw them and invite them to come unto the savior. As they come unto the savior, the other issues begin to come into perspective. And so if I were to try to help my own bishop, my own stake president, which, by the way, are great men, it would be love those that you have the sacred opportunity to serve and then bring them to Christ. You might think, law? Bring them to Christ? Yeah, because the commandments are how we are brought to the Savior. Don't use the commandments as a weapon. Don't whack people with them invite them to come to the Savior, because then the Savior can do with and for them that which no bishop, no stake president, no friend can ever do.
0: That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And for more information about the Single Saints Virtual Summit, Text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit LeadingSaints.org singleadults. It
1: came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the only true and living Church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away
2: and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.